welcome to episode 84 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard, here as usual, and this time I'm joined by fellow psychologist Dr. Antonia Dietman. We're going to discuss uh, a bit of an uncomfortable topic, maybe one that's not broached in the workplace enough for sure, and that is the topic of loneliness. And it's something that um, Antonia looked into as part of her doctoral research. You may remember Antonia joined us previously to talk about the benefits of social chats for uh, team functioning and trust and all that other good stuff that the social chats contribute to. Well, we're discussing this, this issue of loneliness in part because of the working from home experience that so many people w- were pushed into over the last year and how the lockdown experience has maybe kept us apart from the people and the experiences that we really value. Before we dive into that, though, a quick plug. A reminder, Work Life Psych Club is our online community, totally free, aimed at everyone who's interested in their personal development. And just a few weeks ago, we had our first online meetup. We discussed the topic of intentional use of our technology, something we've discussed on the podcast and I've blogged about, um, how to get a grip on our use of our gadgets. Well, our next meetup is in the diary for April 28th, and we'll be joined by Sarah Stromeyer, who is doing a PhD all about the impact of mindfulness interventions in the workplace. So what we're hoping to do, because quite frankly, the word mindfulness can raise eyebrows or bring a a wry smile to your face. What we want to do is look at it through the lens of the evidence. What does the scientific evidence tell us about mindfulness? What could we potentially gain from mindfulness practices? And Sarah is also going to tell us a little bit about how we could get started in a very simple way if that's something that we're interested in. But in order to attend that meetup, you need to be a member of the community. And it's as simple as visiting www.worklifepsych.club. It will take you two minutes and then you'll have access to everything that's going on there. So a big thank you to Antonia for giving up her time to talk to me. It's always a pleasure to talk to her. And, and actually, uh, you know, I, I, me- I messaged her yesterday just to tell her that I, I have to listen back to all of these before they, they go out. And I, I really enjoyed listening to what she had to say. Uh, I think this is one where get a quiet spot, make yourself a cup of tea and, and focus on what Antonia has to say, because I think it's really, really important. And as always, thank you for listening. So, Antonia, it's uh, great to have you back on My Pocket Psych. Thanks very much for making the time to talk with me. You're very welcome. I'm really pleased to be back chatting with you again. And uh, we're, we're talking about quite a different topic, but at the same time, it's a little bit related, which is loneliness. Mm. Maybe we could start with why are you interested in this topic in the first place? So we chatted last time about my uh, doctoral research on chit-chat at work um, and social conversations at work. Uh, When I was doing my wide reading at the start of my doctoral programme, I stumbled into the workplace loneliness literature and I thought, wow, this is really interesting stuff. There's not a lot on it, actually. Um, uh, And I started to just get really interested in what I was reading. Uh, And I kind of thought well chatting to people at work that's got to help 
loneliness there's got mm. to be some sort of connection just uh, I felt on a, on a logical level um, so I decided to include workplace loneliness as one of the variables in my doctoral research um, and and I'm still really interested in the area I think it's a, a, a fascinating uh, topic to investigate from a psychology research kind of perspective uh, but it's just so prevalent and um, relevant now as we're all living and working through the global pandemic so I've held on to that interest that I, I picked up a couple of years ago and I think you've you've hit it right there haven't you that so many people are in a different context now uh, so many people are remote from the people they may have had really good working mm. relationships with but also remote from people that we're physically close to but we just can't get near them just yeah. because of the pandemic yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and even before the pandemic, um, a, a previous U US Surgeon General called Vivek Murthy, he described it as a loneliness epidemic, both in society at large and in organisations specifically. Uh, and, and I don't know, thinking back maybe over the last five to 10 years, quite a lot of charities and governments around the world have been focused on addressing loneliness. The, the, the focus has largely been on sort of older adults, um, the elderly who might be living alone particularly. Um, but as we've all kind of experienced over the last year, this is not a, a feeling that's just um, just experienced by uh, the, the older people in society. It, it cuts right across uh, the age age groups and um, no matter what your your sort of circumstances in life, we can all feel lonely. Uh, and so that's our awareness of, of being lonely and that feeling has really increased in the past year, um, whether we've had to kind of distance from our colleagues or just from the, the loved ones uh, in our lives. Um, and organisations, too, have dramatically changed their working practice. We all think of the home workers, um, but people who have had to go into their workplaces um, have had um, big changes to their physical working environment. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be separated from teams that they usually see. We've got physical barriers in supermarkets, for example, to cut you off from other customers and cut off employees from each other. Um, and so we're really um, much more aware of uh, loneliness and uh, how it can just suddenly creep up on us uh, and be uh, quite quite a, a pertinent and painful feeling that we've got and you know just just touching on that that really speaks to the physical disconnection that so many of us have encountered over the last year whether whether it's really obvious things like keeping a social distance or perspex barriers and masks and and things that keep us further apart from each other but i also think that well, I noticed that the people are relying on things like technology to keep in touch. But, you know, that that's assuming that you have confidence in using those things, that you have a network of people you can reach out to, that you have the confidence to initiate these kinds of contacts. So I think we can kind of easily see how the, the last year has set up real risks for, for people in general, and also people maybe who are predisposed to that kind of disconnect to make it a, a more painful experience. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and we've also got to throw into the mix that loneliness, even after we've gone through everything we've gone through in the last year, loneliness still tends to be a taboo subject. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a very real 
phenomenon, both in society at large and amongst workers. So I would say that employers and managers would uh, kind of ignore it at their peril uh, and trying to pretend that it doesn't happen in their teams, whether you know they think that they've got a really close-knit team or that they've only got a small organisation or even that they've got a big organisation and surely there'd be enough people to make friends with, um, with each other, um, that they, they're, they're kind of fooling themselves that there will be uh, employees who are experiencing loneliness. Um, but there is that social stigma around it. We, we have these kind of stereo, negative stereotypes of lonely people. Uh, we see them as less socially desirable. We see them as weak people. Uh, weirdly, um, there's some research that shows that we see them as quite selfish. You know, how dare they keep themselves to themselves? Mm. Uh, they're being quite selfish with their, with their social interactions. And we also see them as quite socially incompetent. Um, and, and we use that as the kind of, we explain away their, their loneliness. Well, they're obviously not very good at building relationships with other people, so it's their own fault. So it comes uh, brings in an element of victim blaming. Um, but actually, um, the, the research shows that there it's not about your, your social competence. You're probably very good at building relationships, just as good as any of us, but actually something else is going on. Uh, and we can bring in the definitions really of loneliness and it's about the quality and the quantity of your relationships um so you're really you're feeling like you're missing out on some deep high quality interpersonal relationships and Uh, with that you know hmm. defining something like this as psychologists we're really interested in definitions you know so we know what we're talking about the first thing that occurs to me, though, is the social stigma that you mentioned. When you want to measure something like this, does, does that mean that people are less likely to to say that they're experiencing loneliness? Do people who are lonely also own that stigma and feel they shouldn't talk about it? I think they probably do. I think like any stereotype, um, we, we're all aware of them. Um, we're all part of society. And so we understand what the stereotypes of different groups are even if we happen to be one in one of those groups. Um, and we can start create for, for loneliness in particular, we can start creating a very vicious cycle where we self-exclude from social interactions, perhaps because um, uh, people are steering clear of us because they hold those negative stereotypes or we've let those stereotypes take hold in our own mind. Well, I can't possibly be any good at um, having this conversation with uh, with another person, building that relationship. So I'll just withdraw even further from, from my mm-hmm. colleagues or from the people around me. Uh, and that's likely to just intensify the feelings of loneliness and prevent people from saying how they feel, seeking help, uh, and building those uh, quality relationships that will really help to alleviate their loneliness. So some of those strongly held beliefs about the self could translate into behaviour or a lack of behaviour, which really doesn't help the situation anyway, um, and and could hold someone back potentially. Mm -hmm. We've talked about loneliness for a few minutes now. We haven't really um, arrived at what I would call an operational definition of that when it comes to the workplace. Mm. How would you describe the, the concept of loneliness to an employer so they could better understand it? 
So I'll, I'll read out um, Sarah Wright's definition of, um, of workplace loneliness. She's a really key uh, researcher in this area. And she defines it as the distress caused by the perceived lack of good quality interpersonal relationships in a work environment. So we've got a few things to unpack there. We've got the word distress. So it's a painful emotion. It really, it hurts. It triggers the same parts of your brain as pain. Um, and so it's really creating that powerful psychological drive to be with other people. Uh, and she pulled out specifically good quality interpersonal relationships. She didn't talk about the number of interpersonal relationships, just the, the quality. And then, of course, she anchored it in the working environment. Uh, and, I, and I think it's quite interesting to, to kind of ponder for a second why we have this emotion. You know, everything that goes on in human beings, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it came about for a reason. So if we go back to our dim and distant past as, as humans, uh, feeling lonely did have an evolutionary advantage for early humans. As I've said, it's quite it's a painful emotion. It, it hurts. Um, so it prompted them to seek out other people. And then they teamed up in small groups, you know, for protection against the woolly mammoth and assistance in um bringing it down so you could have something to eat that night. So that led to a competitive advantage for those, those teams of, of early humans. Uh, and that increased their chances of gene survival. So actually that had, it had a good you know, use for us uh, uh, early hu in hu early humans. It had an evolutionary function. But unfortunately, even after all these you know, thousands of years, we've still held on to the emotion, even though we've got, uh, we've consistently formed social groups and we've got lots of other advantages to, to forming those social groups. So you think that the emotion might have died out or been, um, you know, evolved out. Um, but actually, it's still here. And we've really feel that in the last year during the pandemic, that something deep in our genes is telling us, go reach out, connect with other people. But actually, these real practical controls on our in our lives that ha have to be there to keep us safe they're really preventing us doing so and I think that adds to that pain and that distress that Sarah Wright called that's really interesting it's 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 a, a discrepancy between that drive and what we find and 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 that definition is is um useful in, in that we could then understand why someone feels loneliness despite being among lots of people Mm. it's it's quality and depth of relationship not you know so you can be with others and feel loneliness and you could be by yourself and not be lonely they're they're, they're different things right they are different things and we often um you know just it, it sort of in talking about the, the literature, we stumble into uh, the literature on social isolation and social connections, and they are quite different things. Um, so we need to sort of disentangle them uh, a, a little bit. It's not the, just the quantity, it, it is uh, the, the quality of it. Uh, so social isolation is about you know, not having many people in your life with whom you regularly interact. And that might lead someone to feeling lonely, but it's not a one-for-one -one relationship. Uh, being socially isolated won't automatically lead you to feeling lonely, and it's and it's your own personal need or definition of social isolation that's important. Uh, my need for high-quality social interactions and connections might be less than yours, Richard, and, and I'd be okay with that. But when it 
dips below what I need, um, then I run the risk of experiencing loneliness. Uh, and I know that, you know, my own personal you know, preference is I don't need an awful lot of friends. I don't need to see a lot of people, but it's been completely shut down for me for the last mm. year. So really that was even below my threshold. And I did, I felt lonely. And, and looking at it from the individual perspective and the individual interpretation then can help us understand a little bit more and can help us understand how someone can experience loneliness while in a workplace and while being part of a team because the inference with team is often you know great relationships and mm. teaminess and we <laughs> all get along and of course mm. you you can have all that contact and still not feel uh, like you're part of things or that you don't have that depth of of relationship mm. so we've got the fact that it's painful and we understand why and, and we've got the the understanding of how it can manifest even if we are connected with people and of course why um the the disconnection and the distance of a, a pandemic can exacerbate it but are there any other impacts beyond you know the really important unhappiness but is there anything actually wrong with loneliness it does have some quite serious consequences and could be really, really damaging to your health. Um, so I'll kind of bring together the the social isolation research and the loneliness research. They're, they are relevant. Uh, but as I've said before, if you're going to explore that literature, it's worth kind of checking the exact variable that the researcher investigated, whether that was social isolation, that, that number of interpersonal connections or the loneliness itself, that the feeling. Uh, so we know that social connections have a really, really powerful influence on our health, on our well-being and, ha- and our happiness. Uh, two quite prominent researchers in the in the area, Heafy and Dutton, they call it a robust finding that social relationships have a significant effect on human health. And, and you'll know, Richard, for, for a psychologist to say anything's a robust finding, there has to be quite a lot out there. So uh, they're really, really nailing their, their colours to the mask uh, there. Uh, and a lack of social connections actually increases the odds of death by at least 50%, which is comparable to smoking and exceeds obesity and physical inactivity. So this is dangerous stuff. Mm, um, and you've yet. really got to have people around you. Yeah, and and I'm thinking immediately about the public health efforts that go into tackling obesity Mm. and to stamp out smoking. And yet I don't think I've ever seen any kind of initiative to address loneliness. Well, that's why, you know, I said in the last maybe five or so years, there was quite, you know, among um, sort of Age UK, um, those kind of charities, there was a, a, a shift towards looking at it. The Joe Cox Foundation did quite a lot trying to connect people in, in communities. Um, so there was, there was a, a, a sort of a, a movement towards looking at it. Um, but it's, it's not just about older people. It's not just about working people. Um, and there's there's an ages and stages effect as well so children will be differentially uh, affected by social isolation than adolescents and people in older age um that some of the outcomes of a a socially isolated child they'll have lower educational attainment when they when they go to school uh they might not um uh, have uh, very many advantages when they do reach adulthood and they're more likely to be psychologically distressed when they are grown up so that has a long-lasting impact on this on this child um, 
adolescence, they might um, experience cardiovascular uh, inflammation to the same degree as physical inactivity, all just because of their social isolation. Uh, And in older age, it's been linked to hypertension, again, to a greater extent than diabetes. So this is this stuff is really affecting your physical uh, health, your body, um, from a from a psychological experience. That's super interesting to me because of other interests I have, where we can see the impact of mood and um, uh, thought and emotion on our well-being, and it's often viewed through the prism of the decisions we make as a result of that. Do we know if people who are experiencing loneliness not only have that emotional pain and those outcomes, but what sits in between? Are their behaviours different as a result, or is this just a direct link between the emotion? And the health outcomes. Hmm. I think there is a there is that direct association, but I think we, as we were talking about that vicious cycle before, um, you might be with um, uh, self excluding uh, from interactions, perhaps because of those stereotypes, or perhaps you're, you're you're finding it increasingly harder to start those conversations and start to build um, build the relationships. Um, when I did my research on chatting at work. And I started to take it into a sort of a training intervention. One of the things that I frequently heard was, I find it's just hard to start the conversation with someone. Uh, and, and this weren't people who were saying that they were lonely, just people who said, how do I start a chit chat at work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, they found it really helpful for me to give them very simple uh, intro statements, how to start that conversation. Hi, how was your weekend? What film were you watching? Whatever. And then also how to exit those conversations gracefully um, and without uh, appearing appearing rude. Uh, so you can see that these sort of, you know, your negative views of your own abilities to, to hold a, a, a conversation or start a relationship might then grow out of control. That's really interesting. And, and of course, you know, in addition to the pain, in addition to those physical outcomes, the, the impact on health, uh, I'm sure there's an impact on how we um, perform at work, how we show up at work. There is there is some research there is so there's less research on workplace loneliness than on the general life loneliness um, uh, evidence. Uh, but we do know that social factors play a big role in lots of different models of work of healthy workplaces so social support is really important um team team collaboration team cohesion interpersonal relationships they all have been linked to good workplace outcomes such as job satisfaction motivation commitment to the organization um, planning to stay and your well-being as well as performance so we've got that kind of side area of research about social factors Um, but then some recent research on workplace loneliness is really really interesting so one finding um, one study found that when people feel lonely at work they're less approachable they're less emotionally committed to their organization and then ultimately they perform worse than their their colleagues who are less lonely but interestingly those colleagues um, perceive that lower commitment Uh, in the lonely colleague and engage less with them and you can kind of see a situation where you know we all need other people to do our job so if your colleagues are noticing that you're less committed engaging less with you perhaps they then don't share some information some resources uh, and then 
your work suffers even further. So what came first, you know, chicken and egg, you know, where you did the loneliness cause the poor performance or is it the fact that this kind of situation, social situation around you at work uh, is then affecting your performance? And I mean, that, that's got me thinking as well, that for some people, their experience of loneliness could be misinterpreted by others completely. Mm. And they may not be thought of as people experiencing loneliness, but they might just be viewed as a bit aloof, a bit cold, a bit not dedicated to their jobs or not a team player. So some description like that, mm. which might prevent people from asking after them and seeing how they're doing. We, we, we can fall into the trap of assuming someone else's state. Yeah, assuming the states or letting the, the, the stereotypes take hold and not challenging our own assumptions uh, and our unconscious biases are, are going on as well. That's really, really, really interesting. So it, it, it could be right now that a team leader, a manager has a team that are working from home. They're, they're all uh, spread out and they might get some contact over video a few times a day, maybe depending on what they do. Um, what what can what can leaders what can organizations do about loneliness is is there anything that an employer can do i think there is uh something that an employer can do uh, but it's not a kind of a quick uh, quick fix uh, so we started at the top of our discussion um uh talking about how i got interested in this area and, and I thought, you know, I, I brought my loneliness, uh, interest in loneliness at work uh, together with my interest in chit chat and social conversations. I thought, well, it must be, um, let's just get people talking. That'll help, uh, help mm. with loneliness. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I designed my research, I designed a, um, a simple uh, intervention to get people to chat to their colleagues more. And I did find that, that that chatting improved the quality of the relationships between the colleagues and improved team performance. But it sadly didn't have any impact on workplace loneliness. So it's quite it's clear then that it's not just as simple as providing people with the tools and the opportunity to talk to their colleagues uh, to improve workplace loneliness. It's just harder than that. And that research that I mentioned before, Wright, and uh, with, with a colleague, Sillard, uh, she says it's a, they say it's a multifaceted variable. So it's not just a function of the individual, they think, but it's partly an inherent property of the organization. And just by saying that, bam, that's huge, mm. an inherent property mm. of the organization. Uh, that becomes quite a sy huge systemic thing um, that... Uh, that needs to be tackled. Uh, and they, those two authors caution that uh, loneliness can't be remedied by using a quick fix single intervention. Often when you say that to organisations, they sort of run for the hills and think, oh yes. gosh, well, <laughs> well, if it's going to be that hard, maybe we just won't bother. <laughs> We're sorry we are asked about it in the first place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll put that in the too hard to do bucket. But I think by talking about something that needs a systemic approach, you can break it down to something that at the individual level, something at the team level and something at the organisational level. Um, so let's kind of bring an example in. Uh, recent research by 
Ochlik and Beats, uh, hopefully I'm saying uh, these people's names correctly, they found that t- in teams where it was the norm to help each other and they had a strong culture of companionate love, the teammates felt less lonely when they were working during a period of social isolation, such as as we've all been working now during the pandemic. So those results really suggest that managers should encourage a loving, helpful and supportive work environment. Now, this is a a powerful word to suddenly bring into organisations, love. It's not usually Mm -hmm. a word we talk about at work or um, in organisations. But, you know, it's one of my hopes of, you know, as we come out of the pandemic and that our work experiences have been changed forever that we're more open to talking about these really positive emotions at work if we can be open about talking about uh, such a, a profoundly negative emotion such as loneliness at work let's bring in some of this positivity the strong positive emotions such as love um, and I think that could be really really beneficial it, it's a great point you make because I know in my own practice it can be difficult to raise topics like values and purpose and the word compassion sends people moving in the opposite direction (laughs) sometimes so talking about love could be a tricky one but I think you're onto something there that if many people have experienced disconnection have experienced some isolation and have experienced some loneliness this year there may be an increase in empathy there, there may be a better understanding of how painful it is. There may be a little bit more reaching out and, and mutual understanding. Like I, I hope so. we will see a little bit more mutual understanding of each other's personal circumstances and caring responsibilities and personal lives. Um, I might be a bit optimistic there, but I really, I really hope we'll see some of that. I hope so too. But I do also hear those organisations in the background going, well, we're still talking about love. And you said it was a, you know, a systemic issue. How, what could we really do? OK, so I do have some practical ideas for, for those organisations, for all organisations. Um, so we could have uh, sort of they could have training related to social relationships, like such as conflict management and communication and team working. Um, do some work on organisational values and and pay particular attention to values that uh, address inclusion and working together and empathy and compassion. Uh, Perhaps think about how you build a social climate that is supportive of positive workplace relationships um, and, you know, conversely, you know, stamping out bullying and harassment uh, and taking steps to address that. Um, it is important for managers to really recognise that workplace loneliness is a social phenomenon. So as uh, Wright and Sillard said, it's not just in that individual, it's part of the organisational fabric. So it's really not just for the lonely person to fix. We need to break this the, that vicious cycle of those stereotypes and just say, well, they just need to get better at building relationships. It's all on them. Actually, it's all on us because we're part of their social fabric. We need to support them. Um, As we have become very aware of these working practices that will separate us from our colleagues, um, try and build in some ways that break that up or use them to have um, kind of a bit more informal interactions and social interactions. Um, I know lots of teams are doing kind of... um, uh, zoom drinks or um you know uh, uh virtual 
uh, quizzes and things like that. For some people, the thought of spending another moment on their video conferencing technology is probably the last thing they want. But actually having the opportunity uh, and the options for people uh, is quite important. Um, and then you, the organisations could start to think about how they reward and uh, recognise people who have brought uh, other people together uh, and improved positive working relationships, um, as well as talking quite openly about um, people's experiences of loneliness at work, I think would be really helpful. And and I think you make an excellent point there that for some people, more social time with their colleagues is not what they need. But if the offer is there, some people may take uh, their team up on that. And um, it, it doesn't necessarily always have to be everyone at the same time. Uh, some one-to-one time can be preferable for some people um, mm. based on how they like to interact. But I guess it's as long as initiatives are being made and we're not assuming that everyone is A-OK, mm. we could maybe find out more about how our team are getting on. Yeah. And there's some quite straightforward things to do. No kind of magic bullets there, but there are initiatives that could be examined and, and we can talk to people. <laughs> we can ask them how they're doing and and uh, make sure that we uh, keep an eye on, on how people are behaving and look for differences, look for changes in their behavior. And some of those things that we might have misinterpreted in the past, like changes in performance and changes in motivation and so on. Mm. Um, it, it is, as you say, though, complex because it's about the individual in the system function of the system of the organization that's possibly something employers will as you say find difficult to hear because it's part of um part of the experience of working there i think that's true uh, but it's worth doing both from an individual point of view and their experiences at work from the team performance point of view um but also some recent research by michelson just uh, in 2017 found that in the uk loneliness costs 2.5 billion pounds per annum to employers so there's a hefty price tag on this and i might imagine as i always do with those kinds of figures that that's an underestimate because of some of the stigma associated with this as we sometimes see with absence data you know that people Mm -hmm. ascribe it to a physical thing rather than a psychological or mental health thing yeah and I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but I, I feel the need, the need to ask it now that we've we've spoken about this a bit more. Is is loneliness the kind of thing that could, in effect, creep up on someone who didn't see themselves as a lonely person, but given the right circumstances, before they know it, they're experiencing loneliness? I think that's probably true. Um, yeah, I think it probably probably can uh, just creep up on you. Um, you sort of haven't spoken to someone for a while you haven't had a meaningful interaction uh you haven't uh you know invested in your relationships in a while uh, other things have come along perhaps work has become quite busy or outside life has uh, had some challenges um and i i think i think that's probably uh probably likely to happen and you know if the if the context lines up in a certain way, you could see that happening. I think, I guess I'm thinking about identity and how we see ourselves. And if you very clearly see yourself as a social, socially connected and sociable person, and suddenly you realize, yeah, I haven't had that contact. I haven't had that conversation. I haven't been socializing. I've been in a very different routine. 
um, a very smaller, much smaller life, if you like, um, in terms of where I go and who I see, that, that suddenly you could realize that and um, it might be a bit of a shock. Mm, I think also the the, the self-identity as a, as a psychologically healthy person, if you see yourself as someone who uh, has always coped well, um, you're, you're, you're psychologically healthy and resilient, actually to have this very powerful negative emotion uh, creeping into your life um, it's it's at odds with that uh and i think that's that's probably true for a lot of uh mental health issues uh mm. too um that it's it can become uh it's quite jarring to suddenly you know realize that this is part of you now yeah especially with again some stigma attached to some some conditions like that that we think that's for other people not for mm. us and then it, it can feel really quite rough when we realize I'm I'm human yeah. and fallible and um, I experience life the same as everyone else yeah but as you said before if you know if one good thing or hopefully more than one good thing can come out of the past year is that we all have um, much more empathy uh, around mental health and the challenges uh, that we've all faced uh, that it can these feelings can happen to us they happen to people in our family to our friends uh, and so um so that we can recognize it and start to talk about it more openly that would be great antonio thank you so much for for joining me again it's been really nice to talk with you even though the topic has been um a little bit uh, a little bit sad a little bit tough to to talk about I and mean, you know this isn't um generally a hilarious podcast but um <laughs> i think this in particular is one that in this context right now maybe some of our listeners can identify with and i i'd really like to hear from anyone uh for whom this topic has, has resonated with if if you've got thoughts on how you yourself have dealt with loneliness through um the the lockdown experience or or any changes to your workplace or indeed you've got questions questions about what you might be able to do in your own workplace do, do get in touch you can send us a message on twitter at my pocket psych or send us a longer message on the contact form on the website worklifepsych.com slash contact antonia thank you again um, as ever it's it's really nice to explore these topics with you and um, i hope we'll we'll have you back on again very soon oh i hope so too i've really enjoyed it thank you richard Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.